Our governor calls Utah the startup capital of the world, and it tracks. We've got a fast-growing, well-educated population and a buzzing economy. And just last week, Utah unveiled the Startup State Initiative, a resource portal for entrepreneurs. From step-by-step -step guides to a business plan generator, startup.utah.gov is now the first stop for starting or growing a business here. That's startup.utah.gov. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Homelessness has felt like the only issue in this year's Salt Lake City mayoral race, which is why we hosted deep dives with our three mayoral candidates on this specific issue. In part two of our series of three interviews over three days, I asked candidate Rocky Anderson questions specific to his record and his policy ideas around homelessness. He's got a record because he was the mayor of Salt Lake City from 2000 to 2008. And stick around to the end for analysis from myself and lead producer Emily Means. We offer some notable updates and context. It's Wednesday, November 8th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Rocky Anderson, you were mayor of Salt Lake City from 2000 to 2008. You're running again, and you've been pretty outspoken about homelessness this time around. How would you characterize what the city's approach to homelessness should be? The city's approach to homelessness should be centered on a compassionate approach toward those who are in need and solving the problems that brought them into homelessness in the first place to the extent possible and applying an equal compassion toward everybody else in our community, the residents, the families who live here that want to use our parks without encampments, the people who want to go downtown without encampments and human feces and urine around. The solutions that are used by those successful programs serve the interests of everybody, residents, businesses, and members of the homeless community. I'd love to hear what are some of the solutions that you would suggest putting forward that are within the scope of the city? First of all, we need to commit to get rid of all the encampments spread throughout the community. And with that, some of the criminal element. But you don't do that unless you've got alternatives. That's why we've got the situation we have now is those alternatives haven't been provided. When the road home shelter was closed, it was a disaster in the making. When they spread out these scattered so-called resource centers that are really nothing more than shelters, they're not really transitioning many people into anything better. Uh, they're all full. And they ended up with four, almost 400 fewer beds among these resource centers that cost so many millions of dollars to build and to operate than were available with 1,100 beds at the road home shelter. What we should do now, at least as a temporary measure, is have a sanctioned camp area. And it could be little shelters, whether it's bringing people together in tents like they do in Denver, but get people out of this hor horrendous killer weather 
Uh, like they're doing now at the Methodist Church, a bunch of nonprofits and volunteers had to do it because the city failed to do it, and give them a place where they're going to be safe from these police raids. And it's not only the police pushing them out. I've been there. They will go in. They got the heavy equipment. They take people's tents. They destroy them. All of their survival gear, their clothing, their sleeping bags, their blankets— I, I, I truly think we will look back and see what's going on with the homeless encampments now and the failure to provide alternatives that this is the greatest moral failing toward those most in need ever in our city's history. And then longer term, we, we need to get back to what so many people were doing when I was mayor. And I don't take credit for this. We, we were doing a lot in the city. Uh, but so were others, other governmental entities, the philanthropic community. We were, we were building and renovating like crazy to provide permanent supportive housing for chronically homeless people. We had a place that was built Sunrise uh, Metro mm-hmm. down on 6 South. That was the first project-based housing facility like this. That set the course for... So many other of these facilities that were built for chronically homeless people. But the important, really fundamental aspect of this was they had the supportive services. We're not going to solve these problems if we don't, first of all, get people who are there just because of economic situations and get them jobs, get them the benefits that, that they're entitled to. And uh, then, of course, you've got a big substance abuse problem. You've got a mental illness problem. And we need to absolutely commit in every instance to provide services and treatment for those who are in need. And it's much more economical to do that. I can tell this is an important issue to you, and your campaign has certainly focused on it. When you first announced your candidacy, the Salt Lake Tribune quoted you, and I'm going to read the quote. I'm (laughs) sure you're sick of hearing it by now. We need to identify the reasons for a person being homeless, then give them a choice. You go to where there's shelter or you go to jail. If there's a mental health issue, you go in for an evaluation and possibly treatment. You're not going to be lying in front of a building to where people have to step over you to get inside. Yep. That's the end of the quote. It seemed pretty shocking, though you have said that it was taken out of context. I was clearly talking about those who have offended against the law. Uh, Mm -hmm. Consistent with what I did for eight years as mayor, we set up the nation's most comprehensive restorative justice program where we're focused not on punishment and retribution, but with solving problems. In fact, we had a homeless court. So if people were committing uh, crimes, if they're arrested and it was in connection with their homelessness, we'd try to address those underlying problems. And it was all about the restorative justice approach. And for those who offend against the law, try to divert them out of jail and get them into programs that will address the underlying problem. And and I I don't blame you, you know, for having misunderstood that because what happened was the Tribune, and I, I don't think they did this purposely, but they, they just grabbed a couple of sentences and put it on Instagram. So that's what people read. And if they didn't go and read the entire article, they would have thought, God, who is this guy? He, just, he wants to 
make homelessness illegal. That was not at all the truth. What I was saying is if people violate the law, you know, if somebody is shooting up heroin, like they were doing out in front of my office building on 3rd South and State and Main Street, enforce the law, but let's get them into drug court. Let's get them, let's help solve the problem. Let's intervene like we do in our own families when there are substance abuse problems. The rest of us have an interest in cleaning the place up, but that person needs help. It shouldn't ever be about just taking them in, arresting them, putting them in jail, and then having them go through what is a rather bizarre criminal justice system that ought to be focused on problem solving rather than punishment and retribution. Mm -hmm. So thank you for allowing me to address that. And it was really talking about, let's all do better for those who offend against the law, and especially those who are in need, those who have substance abuse problems, those who have mental illness issues. Mother's Day is on the horizon, and the good news is that you can find everything you need at Harmon's. Whether it's a little something to brighten Mom's Day or a memorable spread, here are a few ideas. For breakfast, try Harmon's house-baked cinnamon rolls with freshly squeezed orange juice and a package of fresh-cut strawberries. If you're spicing it up with Bloody Marys, don't forget that Harmon's has an olive bar with over 12 different varieties. Now flowers are the perennial favorite, and you can order online or pop by the store last minute. Shop succulents, potted plants, and elaborate arrangements. May's flower of the month is the hydrangea. Very appropriate. Hydrangeas are fragrant and elegant. And if sweets are in order, Harmon's has added raspberry to their selection of brownie flavors. Find all mom's favorites at your local Harmon's or order online at harmonsgrocery.com. Epic Brewing is one of the OGs in building Utah's craft beer scene. But I am most excited about their recent adventures in canned cocktails. First, they released the Utah Mule. And as a big fan of ginger, I have been sipping those for almost a year now. But now, this April, we have the Utah Margarita. A delicious, locally fermented blend of real lime and agave, and they create alcohol by fermenting cane sugar instead of using tequila, which means you can buy Utah margaritas at the grocery store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita or Utah Mule at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or you can visit Epic Brewery on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. They're open seven days a week. And this fall, look out for the Utah Cosmo. Well, you've been mayor before, and you've said that you're running on your record. So we asked folks from the time, reporters, service providers, who were all, you know, in the mix when you were mayor to characterize for us how you handled homelessness. And they didn't really have anything to say, essentially, the gist was that it wasn't a big priority for your administration. So I'd love to ask you, how would you describe how you handled it at the time? Well, it, it was a huge priority. Matt Minkovich knows it was a huge priority. He was director of The Road Home. 
we directed a lot of funding, like uh, the Community Development Block Grant money. Uh, we helped finance the operation. Uh, there were always adequate shelters for people who are homeless in the community. I can tell you, I would walk through like Pioneer Park. Everybody knew me by name. It was friendly. They knew I had their back. During the Olympics, we were the only host city. And this was much be because of my initiative. I said, we are going to expect a lot, of, lot more homeless people in Salt Lake City during the Olympics. We're not going to do like Atlanta did and buy people one-way bus tickets out of town or make these mass arrests like Atlanta did before the Olympics. We are going to recognize everybody's civil and human rights. We provided a 450-bed overflow shelter. It was absolutely unprecedented. I mean, we're all learning and growing every day, and these issues are nuanced and they're evolving constantly. Reflecting back, because that was 20 years ago when you took office, a little over 20 years ago, are there things you would have done differently or what you wish you knew at the time? The one thing I wish I had done differently now looking back, but it wasn't ever a problem. Nobody ever came to me and said, we need public toilets because people, we had bathrooms in Pioneer Park. Did you know that the only public permanent bathrooms in Pioneer Park have been demolished? Did you know that they lock the public restrooms at Liberty Park? If you're just you, if you're Allie and you need to go relieve yourself and you're in Pioneer Park, you're out of luck. Imagine being a member of the homeless community. You don't have access to a bathroom. Sanitation is a fundamental human right. Everybody has the right to sanitation and, and when they need to relieve themselves to access to a toilet, not stooping behind a garbage bin in the alley. So yeah, getting back to your initial question, is there anything I wish I had done? Uh, we, we were building so much housing, building all of this permanent housing for the chronically homeless. The one thing I wish I had done, and, and even though nobody asked for it, was I wish I'd put in public toilets because there is such a crying need for that. I wish you had as well. Uh, we talk about public restrooms a lot on this show. I want to talk about the Olympics. You were the mayor in the lead up to and during the Olympics. Right. And a group of community advocacy organizations at, that at the time called themselves the Salt Lake Impact Coalition created a report card around the games. And they gave the games a C plus on impact mitigation. They did note like good work with creating an overflow shelter, as you mentioned. But they said that people were evicted from motels and low-income apartments to make room for visitors to the games. I'd love to know what did your administration do to either prevent that or support people that were being evicted at the time? Well, actually, that, that, that was part of the problem that we knew we were going to have and, and why we put in a 450-bed overflow shelter is for those at the very bottom rungs that are just barely hanging on, that were going to be evicted, that, that they would have a place and they'd be taken care of. And we fed them as well uh, during that period of time. But uh, I, I think that kind of price gouging is unconscionable. Um, I, I think those who engaged in it, I just think people like that ought to be exposed and, and 
that there needs to be a societal ethic against it that drives better public policy. And I think with enough time, I came into office, by the way, uh, without a whole lot of lead time going into the Olympic Games. Um, but I, I think there, you need to take care of your own. Yeah. You took office in 2000, right? So it would have been a two-year lead time yeah. to yeah. the Olympics. Was there anything that the city could have done at the time to be preventative around evictions? I know the legislature makes these things difficult, so I'm genuinely asking. Yeah, they 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 do, and 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 they also don't care about local control. I think long term, the solution to that is uh, providing affordable housing where people aren't going to be evicted, and the way to do that is not this neoliberal approach where you you do everything according to what the market might allow. Mm-hmm. But we should start building using the borrowing power of the city and all the millions of dollars that we've been subsidizing developers with. We should build social housing, mixed income social housing. And if we did that, I mean, we've all got an interest in the quality of our built environment, the architecture, where we all marvel at what a great main library building we have, for instance. We don't all marvel about the quality of the architecture of all these apartments that are sprouting up all over the city and that are unaffordable. The way to get around that is for the city to control it. Let's go out and get the best architects we can, build a beautiful built environment, have mixed income housing, affordable housing, because even upper middle class people can't afford to live in Salt Lake City anymore. And if we had that kind of affordable housing, people wouldn't be wondering, geez, if we have the Olympics, am I going to get evicted from my housing? But I guess my question is, like, looking at the housing crisis that we're in now, it would seem to me that the time to have been implementing preventative measures and thinking about long-term housing would have been 20 years ago because we saw tremendous growth here between 2000 and 2010. A lot of people have attributed that, as you said, to the popularity and success of the Olympics. How were you thinking about the need for housing back then and for future residents? Well, this is really interesting because Mayor Mendenhall stated in her State of the City address and then also in a recent campaign email that the city did not invest anything, she said in both of them, not one dime in affordable housing until 2009. That's just a documentable falsehood. Even before I was mayor, look at the first two uh, um, art space projects. Obviously, there was city money. Uh, We had Salt Lake City Housing Authority. So we were focused like a laser on providing more affordable housing. And when I was mayor during those eight years, and I know times have changed, uh, there have been other factors come into play, but this was by far a more affordable, welcoming city to people of all income levels. And anybody who was here at the time knows very well that that situation has been transformed now to one where our city's being built out with with what are, in many instances, pretty unattractive, but unbelievably unaffordable housing for most people. 
Mm-hmm. What was your role specifically in planning for affordable housing long term? It was in 2000, the first year I was mayor, that we set up the uh, housing trust fund, Salt Lake City Housing Trust Fund, that had a great legacy, millions mm-hmm. of dollars going out. So we had a, a first-time home buyers program. We had, through this housing trust fund, money available for people who wanted to rehabilitate affordable housing, who wanted to construct new affordable housing, who needed to do repairs on affordable housing. It was a major focus of our administration. Were you supportive of inclusionary zoning policies at the time? Yes. Or any other land use policy changes Absolutely. that would have yeah. led to more I, affordable housing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was the one, you know, people would come in and talk to me about housing, like from, from uh, Crossroads Urban Center. And I said, we should have inclusionary zoning. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we had a council. I mean, you look at the composition of our council at the time, uh, there there was no way to get that. But that's one means that you can get more affordable housing is just yeah. tell developers, hey, if you're going to build here, you're, you are going to do it within the scope of our goals as a city. As I said, I mean, I think the, the quality of our built environment, just aesthetically what our city is, we've got, all got an interest in that. We've also all got an interest in affordability. We want students, we want nurses, we want firefighters and police and teachers to be able to afford to live in our city. And that that kind of uh, diversity of opportunity is so crucial for a sustainable city. And mm-hmm. we're losing a lot of that now. And that would be a major emphasis of my administration. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up that the council at the time wasn't supportive of inclusionary zoning policies, because when we think about this issue of housing and specifically homelessness, it's often pointed out that it relies on a broad coalition, right? The state, the county, city leaders working together. Salt Lake City alone cannot solve this problem. It is no secret (laughs) that you have a history, Rocky, of being very strong-willed. Do you think you can bring people to the table on this now? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got great friendships with Republican legislators. I know there's this urban legend that, you know, I used to make them mad because I'd, I opposed the, the initial illegal legacy highway and this whole notion of building new highways rather than mass transit. That was the right stand to take. And I knew I'd ruffle a few feathers, but mm-hmm. these people know I can get it done. They know that we might have our political differences, but they also know they're going to hear it from me straight and that I get the job done. Once Mm -hmm. we set our goals, that we can make things happen as we did for eight years. And I'm really proud. And it's not just one person. It's always a team. You bring in a great team, a world-class team. That's another urban legend is, oh yeah, I'm really tough on people. And I fired a lot of people. Well, if you're not doing your job, I'll tell you. Is it you, an urban legend if it's in the Salt Lake Tribune? <laughs> yeah. You know what else you'll find in the Salt Lake Tribune? Or maybe it was Deseret News. We did uh, surveys among city employees every two years. We had the, the best morale in the mayor's office of any department in city government. We were like a, this impassioned family, 
all working toward the kinds of things we felt so strongly about. You know, people came into city government and those who lasted with me were those who were so impassioned that they worked hard and they did their very best to bring about real accomplishments, not just talking the talk, but actually walking the walk and getting it done. Well, and this is the my last question on this, but you know, when we think about the issue of abatements, which you brought up as being, I think you described as being inhumane, this is, I think, probably the most obtuse way that a lot of us are engaging with this issue right now is watching videos from abatements. And those are those are handled by the city and the county in tandem. And when we think about what it would look like to reform that process, Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson, she and the, her team at the county would need to be allies. But she wrote an op-ed saying that she thinks you're too divisive to be Salt Lake City's mayor. You yeah, want to so to divisive that? because I spoke out against the war, because I spoke out against Legacy Highway. Utah is full of go-along-to-get-along politicians, and that's why we see so little progress. So you don't want to work with Jenny Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work with her. I mean, I... <laughs> I can work with anybody. Like, I mean, if I can work with some of these right-wing legislators on things, it, it serves us all to get along and try to focus where we can. If you want to use the word divisive, some people use the word principled, and I'm willing to stand up on issues that a lot of Utah politicians will never address. Former mayor and current mayoral candidate Rocky Anderson, thank you for your time. Thank you, Allie. Good talking to you. Emily Means, we're back with part two in our Director's Cut series, right? Fun for us. It has been many moons since we talked to Rocky Anderson about homelessness. And you and I are going to talk about a couple things that may or may not have changed since that conversation and provide some updates. First, I want to make just a quick note. So in that conversation, as we heard, Rocky mentioned Mayor Erin Mendenhall saying in her State of the City address that before 2009, Salt Lake City didn't invest a penny in affordable housing. Mm -hmm. You and I, when we heard that, were really curious about this idea. And our big question was like, is this apples to apples or apples to oranges? Because in Rocky's 2007 State of the City address, he said that the city had used nearly $30 million from local and federal funding sources to support affordable housing units. So we followed up with Salt Lake City Corporation to clarify. And what the mayor's office told us is that their belief is that facilitating affordable housing is very different from the city itself writing checks to fund it. So... I don't know that that provides clarification necessarily. Yeah, not really. But to Rocky's point, the city's housing trust fund was created in 2000 to help fund affordable housing projects. And that fund is housed within the city's general fund. So there you go. Yeah. So anyway, let's get in a bit more on some of the things that we talked about with Rocky and whether there have been any updates or important additional information to shed light here. Sounds good. I think we should start with sanction camping because this is something Rocky brought up at the very beginning of the conversation when you asked him, how do you think the city should approach this? And mm. of course, now we're seeing that Salt Lake City is moving forward with a 
pilot program for sanctioned camping, which they're calling the Temporary Shelter Community. They are working to get it up and running by winter, which is fast approaching. And there have been some hiccups along the way because we do not yet have a service provider for Mm -hmm. the 50-bed project. And this project, though, is different from what Rocky has been talking about since March when we first talked with him. Basically, what he has said is the 50-bed project that's moving forward right now just really isn't enough in his mind. And his vision is more, no more unsanctioned encampments throughout the city. One big sanctioned campus is Mm -hmm. kind of how I would describe it. Is that, do you think that's fair, Allie? I think so. What I think is so interesting about Rocky's perspective and the approach that his campaign has taken around this issue from a more holistic standpoint is that he's kind of trying to be, in some ways, I think, the catch-all for everyone who has big feelings about homelessness that doesn't align with current Mayor Aaron Mendenhall's. Hmm. And if you start to sort of pull apart all of those different perspectives, some of them are in opposition to each other. But Rocky's hope is that he can kind of unite them as in his view. So like, I guess what I would say is, on the one hand, I mean, his probably biggest endorsement is that of Wendy Garvin, a co-founder and the executive director of Unsheltered Utah. This organization has become a real force around this issue in large part because it is probably the most or one of the most grassroots operations looking to address homelessness in our community. Right. They're very volunteer-oriented. Very volunteer-oriented and I think very, very resourceful and um, like, for example, it's Unsheltered Utah that was putting on the the movie nights at right. Second and Second. And because they were a movie night and they were showing a movie all night, then the church wasn't operating as a shelter. Like they're just they have been they've had a lot of gumption in addressing this issue head on. And so Rocky's getting the endorsement of these like kind of big name community activists mm-hmm. who have by and large, the most, I would say, grassroots, compassionate view on this issue, right? Mm, Like, mm -hmm. what you hear from them is like, let's get everyone housed. This is a humanitarian crisis. We cannot go on like this because this is not how we treat each other. On the other hand, you've got some wealthy, prominent folks in the community whose view feels a little bit more, let's clean up these streets. Right. I mean, yeah, we all agree that it is heartbreaking to see someone sleeping outside in the freezing cold. But there are a number of people in this community who are definitely coming at this issue more from a place of this is a mess that impedes on our quality of life. Mm -hmm. And those people also seem to be excited about Rocky's campaign. And so like, you hear him share these sort of big ideas and big solutions. And it's like, well, that is quite the coalition. At what point do those forces come to head under this umbrella? Hmm. Very insightful, Allie. And I think you have hit the nail on the head with 
kind of what I have struggled to understand throughout Rocky's campaign. And, you know, you mentioned this during the interview, uh, a Salt Lake Tribune story that didn't paint Rocky very well in his own words. You know, it was basically to the effect of, well, we're going to get these people off the streets and if they don't want to go to shelter, we're going to put them in jail. And mm. Rocky was like, that was taken out of context. Like, of course, that's, I'm, I don't want to be punitive in that way. That's not how I do things. Mm -hmm. But even still, you know, months and months later, I'm sitting here like, okay, so we're talking about all of the debris and waste on the streets. And you're talking about that in the exact same sentence as, well, we need to help people, you know? Like it just, it, there's a tone that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, the reality is like when you are not an incumbent candidate, when you are the challenger, you are often the change candidate, right? And like being the change candidate can be kind of fun because you get to be the aggressor. You get to offer any number of alternatives to the existing regime. And so I think it's interesting because one of the criticisms of Rocky's campaign pretty consistently since he announced has been tone and that he is, you know, again, an aggressor in mm -hmm. his tone. At the same time, I mean, I think anger is often how we get things done. Now, there is a difference between outrage and anger. I think anger can be often productive. Outrage is not always necessarily productive. So I think when we look at these issues, we should be really considerate of what kind of reactionary tone we're looking for in our leaders. But I do think like... I don't know. I'm hard pressed to be like mad that someone's mad about something that we're all comfortable calling a humanitarian crisis. And at the same time, back to the point of like, these are some serious factions that he's trying to unite. Tone is going to come into play. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Ali, I wanted to mention some of these other ideas Rocky has put forth that kind of differentiates him in particular from mm -hmm. the incumbent, Aaron Mendenhall. Social housing. This is something yeah. that really stuck out to me because generally I would characterize Salt Lake City's approach to building more affordable housing in this way. We are going to help developers build more affordable housing for us, right? And, you know, there's a proposal that's in front of the city council to approve more affordable housing incentives. Yep. to help developers build more affordable housing. The city also approved a new housing plan this year, Housing SLC, that very briefly mentions a, the possibility of someday maybe <laughs> publicly developing and owning housing, although they clarify that this tool is not currently available. So like, it's not on the table at this time. This is not a yeah. focus of this administration, it seems. But for Rocky... It's the solution. Mm -hmm. I, I think that when you're thinking about these candidates' approach to housing, that's really how I would characterize where Rocky's coming from. He's charging yeah. forward on social housing here. 
I mean, there were a lot of moments in this conversation where, like, listeners hear me chuckle. But one of the moments where I chuckled inside but not outside is when he referred to the current Mayor Aaron Mendenhall's administration's approach to affordable housing as neoliberal. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was sort of like, I don't know, it kind of is like when your mom says, uh, woke, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) But I think that is kind of an appropriate characterization, right? Like this, our current administration has a lot of faith in the free market. And what we hear from Rocky is he does not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He does not. And it's also the case, we talk about this often, that Salt Lake City is kind of kneecapped by the state legislature in many, many ways. and. Let's be honest, the state legislature is mostly run by real estate developers. So I think it makes a lot of sense to focus your efforts on, um, you know, convincing these developers to build more affordable housing for you. But surely, like, this crisis is so bad that we should look at other options. Right. Can we as a city afford to build city-run housing? And if not, would we need state dollars to do that? And is there even a world where the state of Utah would fund social housing in Salt Lake City? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I'm skeptical. But yeah. What else? Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was permanent supportive housing, because this is something that Rocky was really proud of having built during his administration or having supported. And, you know, here in Salt Lake City, uh, in this present day, this is also something that Mayor Aaron Mendenhall's administration has been working on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were told that by the time the winter overflow shelters closed this year, so earlier this year, around April, We would have approximately three permanent supportive housing projects online that the city had helped fund it. And it is now November, and we have one of those projects online. That is run by Switchpoint. Um, We actually talked with Carol Hollowell, the executive director, about that project. So if you want to learn more about it, we'll link that in our show notes. But the other two projects... One of them is going to be built in Sandy for medically vulnerable, unsheltered people. It's not yet ready, though. And then the last one uh, was supposed to be a project built at the former Ramada Inn on North Temple. And we know, and reporting from the Salt Lake Tribune shows, that project has completely fallen through. So... I think it is something that this city administration is interested in doing. Um, Rocky's not the only person who's thought of permanent supportive housing, but the reality is, is that it just hasn't fully come to fruition, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like I'm always hammering on vibes here, Emily, (laughs) but like to the notion of being a change candidate, right? Taking a marker to a whiteboard and brainstorming our best ideas is not the same as executing on them. And so I do think it's important to bring up, like when you've got a candidate that's sharing a really good idea, what it has looked like this year when someone has tried to execute on that very good idea. And that's not necessarily to say that it's impossible, right? Or that one person or another couldn't get it done more easily or in a better way. But like, it's hard. It's hard to get things done 
in this city. And I mean, I just don't know why anyone would ever want to be the mayor. (laughs) (laughs) I continue to come to that conclusion, too. (laughs) But tomorrow we will hear from Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. Responding specifically to a number of these sort of similarities and differences and questions, like we do ask her about how she feels about social housing and things like that. So look forward to a little bit of maybe clarity on that. And um, yeah. All right, Emily, thank you so much for recapping with me. And we'll chat more about this tomorrow. Talk later. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We will be back tomorrow morning with our conversation with Mayor Aaron Mendenhall on homelessness, plus our analysis on what we've learned since then. Bye.